Today's reading is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 22. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated, but in your heart sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. The word of God for the people of God. So walking the journey from orphanhood to adoption, kind of have to get some, some mindset straight. I have to remember that in the world of an orphan, orphans take care of themselves. The orphans must be strong. They must protect themselves from being taken advantage of. They depend on no one, just themselves. Orphans can't be weak. Orphans have a strong desire to want to be accepted, to belong. They crave wanting to be taken in and loved, but doubt they ever will. Orphans can only trust themselves. They can't let anyone get too close. And orphans are always on the outside looking in, dreaming, dreaming what it might be like. Now, you're more familiar with stories of orphans than you know. Uh, there's a great story of a little redheaded uh, orphan in the New York City's Hudson Street home for girls. This is little orphan Annie. Uh, Miss Hannigan, right? Uh, Miss Hannigan wants so, uh, so badly for the girls to kind of keep her in a lifestyle that she'd like to become accustomed to. You know, she uh, gets the girls up and they scrub the floors in the middle of the night. They sew pieces of uh, strips of fabric. They peel potatoes. They wash the mildewed walls. She screams at them, these floors better shine like the Chrysler building or your rear ends will, right? It's a little difficult. Now the kids all dreamed of adoption, but as they got older, they worried that adoption wasn't in the cards for them until Oliver Warbucks shows up. He shows up, he's a, a billionaire bachelor, and he just wants to borrow one cute orphan for about a week just to raise his public image. 
Sends his secretary over to pick her up. The secretary's name is Grace, and uh, Grace Farrell gets uh, Annie from the orphanage and escorts her to the mansion as, as they walk in. Annie's never seen such luxurious environment as this. There are spiral staircases and balconies upon balconies. There are cut flower displays that are fresh and beautiful. A full-length stained glass window from ceiling to floor. She is star-struck with the opulence. Mr. Warbucks's personal secretary, Grace, asks Annie, well, what do you want to do first? And Annie puts her hand on her chin and she looks around and she says, well, I'd do those windows first, then I'd shake out those drapes, and then I'd dust all the furniture. Grace interrupts her and says, no, honey, you don't understand. You're not here to work. You're our guest. And at that, uh, maids and butlers come in, and she clothes are picked out for her. A meal is laid out for her. By the end of the evening, she's been tucked into bed, and the smile on her face says it all. But she says out loud, I just can't believe it's here. I think I'm going to like it. It's a pretty good story. It's a little sanitized. It's a little cuted up for us, but it makes the um, it makes the journey from orphanhood to adoption a little bit clearer. What is it like to win the lottery? What is it like to be adopted by the billionaire bachelor? What is it like to go from Miss Hannigan to Daddy Warbucks? Our scripture passage today talks a, a little bit about what is it like to focus on hope when hope seems fleeting. You can imagine if you were uh, in an orphanage as an older child, you know it's the cute ones that go first, that every family that comes is another opportunity for you to remember how old and uncute you are. But here in 1 Peter, 1 Peter's writing to a church where hope is fleeting. Uh, the church is far enough along and the Roman Empire is far enough along that any time the uh, governors or the emperor needs to make, uh, make some points with the population, they kick around the church. Bread and circus is wonderful, except when you're the bread and you're the circus. So for that tiny little church, that tiny group of house-bound Christians that are trying to see the world as being created by God and as the footstool for Jesus Christ, they feel as if hope is fleeting. They feel as if the world around them is causing them to suffer. So 1 Peter says, Christ himself suffered because of evil acts as well. And, and you'll suffer also as well. But it's better to suffer for good actions than to suffer for evil actions. First Peter goes on to say that God redeemed the world through a flood. A flood isn't a, a good experience. We all know about storm, storm surge and hurricanes. That, that flood is not something that someone chooses, but First Peter reminds the church that God redeemed the world through the waters of the flood of Noah and was patient as Noah built the ark, and that a few were saved. It tells us eight were saved. And that that reminds us that God rescues through the work of baptism. 
Not that we need to clean up before we take a bath. Not that baptism is getting the dirt off of us, but rather it is a a commissioning, a commitment, uh, an anointing that we are now part of a new family and part of a new household. Baptism is about becoming part of the family of Christ. You notice as you walked in the door, apparently we didn't put the furniture back where it was supposed to go. But the baptismal font there at the head of the aisle is a reminder as you walk in the door to touch the waters and to remember that it is through water that God has redeemed us. Whether it's the waters of birth, whether it's the waters of the Red Sea, whether it's the the waters of Jordan or just our own baptismal remembrance. We're reminded that though hope seems fleeting, that all the powers over us are there because Jesus said they could be there, that we will be redeemed in time, uh, that God will look out for us, that though things look bleak, maybe even as bleak as being stuck in an orphanage, God is working even now to bring about a resurrection that God is working behind the scenes and under the scenes and around so that God's will might be done, that, our, um, that God's people might be rescued, that hope that seems fleeting will become real and uh, textured and a part of our lives. It's a great message for us today. If you uh, feel like the economy is against you or your employer is against you or uh, any of those powers and principalities that Romans chapter 8 talks about, if you feel like the world is oppressive against you, take heart because there is no power or authority over us except those that God has allowed to happen. So even when hope seems fleeting, God, who is the steward of hope, is working to pour out hope on us, even if we're an orphan. Now, I don't know about you, but not not a lot of people I know that are are orphans. I mean, we often talk about folks who uh, are older adults when their parents die. uh, You can feel as if you might be an orphan, right? All of a sudden, I'm in charge. I'm the oldest of the generation. I don't feel like it's time for me to be in charge of everything. It's a completely different uh, feeling of uh, orphanhood. When we look at uh, new Christians or people kind of making their way in the world today, uh, there is a feeling of scarcity. There's a a feeling of, I better get mine before you get yours. Uh, There's this idea that I'm gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm gonna make sure that I'm looking out for number one. I'm not gonna trust anybody. I'm not gonna get close to anybody because nobody else is on my team except for me. I'm sure you've never encountered anyone like that uh, uh, out on the street, uh, at work, or even here in the church, but they exist. It's this idea that I've got to do it all. Well, now the first move in scripture, the the movement of um, the gospel story, the movement of the, the prodigal son is this idea that you can't do it all yourself. That if you rely upon your own resources, eventually they run out. Paul says there are, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we can't do it on our own. We need help, help from the church and help from a savior help from a a rescuer. I find it really interesting, if you look at the culture around us, uh, Disney, right? Disney says, when you wish upon a star, your dreams come, right? Drew, right? You don't wanna hear me sing. But here's something interesting. I read an article that said that of the movies, animated features full length between 1937 and the year 2000, 
40 full-length animated features, only one of those full-length features had a protagonist whose parents were alive for the entire film. Just take a little moment and think about that, right? How many of those sweet Disney stories have to do with an orphan, right? I always said, it's one thing to shoot Bambi, but you better not shoot Thumper, right? That's a no-no. <laughs> when you think about these stories, these, these uh, full-featured um, animated movies, they, they are gruesome to begin, right? I mean, watch, um, uh, watch the elephant one. Good grief. It's amazing what goes out of my brain. Dumbo, thank you, right? I'm feeling like Dumbo, right? Oh my gosh, they lock up the mama, and the, and the little trunk comes out. It just makes you want to cry, right? So when you look at these stories, these sweet stories, end up feeling like they should be on Law and Order or, uh, you know, Lifetime or it's Scorched Earth. And I wonder why. Usually we, we tell stories that connect with our experience. But if 90% of Disney's stories are about uh, folks who, um, who didn't have parents to raise them, is that because we're a bunch of people who don't have parents to raise us? When you look at the statistics, it's not true. The demographics don't match. And when you expand it beyond just Disney movies, uh, name a superhero uh, or um, a, a kind of one of those figures uh, that also had both parents. Superman not only lost the ones back on the home planet, but lost the ones that were here. Luke Skywalker, you know, Luke, I am your father, right? And he dies, right? Um, if you're a Hogwarts fan, Right, Harry ain't got no parents either, right? It's amazing, Spider-Man, they did like a whole setup in the last movie just telling you about how his parents died. It is something about you can't be a superhero in American culture unless you come from nothing and do it all yourself. Friends, I feel like that's a message we've got to hear. We're stuck in a story that says it all depends upon you. And so you better look out for number one. You better take care of what you need and don't share with others because they'll take you for all you're worth. What does it mean that the stories we tell are stories about perseverance? Now, perseverance is important, but let's not forget that it's the movement of God in our lives that makes all the difference. It's the discernment of God's will. It's the alignment with God's work. It's being called for a purpose and equipped for it. That's the beauty of being in the story of God. Now, sometimes we wonder about the adoption stories. Are there adoption stories in the Bible? Why, yes, Moses. Moses is an adoption story. Moses' mother puts him in a basket of reeds and pushes him down the river. She was crafty, right? Scripture says, be as innocent as doves and as crafty as serpents. She knew where the Pharaoh's daughter was hanging out. And Moses had the right place to be. Samuel, Samuel the prophet, uh, was taken care of by Eli, one of the priests. That there are adoption stories that make a difference. Some might say that Jesus was adopted. I think that's probably poor Christology, but we won't go there. And even when we define in James chapter 1, what is religion? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What does it mean to think about the movement from uh, orphanhood to adoption? Now, it's very true in the Old Testament that anytime you had a visitation from the divine, it was something to be terrified about. That a visitation from the divine, if you were uh, sinful, 
you could die in that moment, right? Remember when the priest went into the holiest of holies, um, uh, once a year they tied a rope around his uh, waist and a bell around his foot because you just didn't know, right? The guy said he was blameless, but hey, we had to pull him out. Um, you know, so anytime you had an encounter with the divine, you were concerned about your well-being. And so oftentimes what is said between um, the angel or the presence of God and the person, it's do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not, for I am with you, right? It's this idea that if I'm in the presence of all that is holy, the God who created heaven and earth, the God who has set up the world and made it run and expects me to be holy as well, I better fear for my safety. But then we have this great story of Jesus walking the earth, being fully God and fully human. What what does Jesus do? Does he fall prostrate in front of the divine experience? No, he says to the disciples, when you pray, pray like this. Say, Abba, Father. Now, Abba, Father is a great word. Uh, Abba is a great word. It's kind of a colloquialism of Aramaic that isn't, um, oh, Holy Father, um, it's much more of a daddy. Can you imagine uh, uh, calling uh, someone who's so powerful and so wonderful and so different from us, daddy? I imagine it's not different from how uh, Annie felt when she realized that the week had gone on longer than a week and that she was no longer a guest, but quickly becoming part of the family. How do you refer to uh, Oliver Warbanks? as daddy. What is it like to inherit everything? What is it like to no longer dream of your next meal, but dream of a future with a family? We've heard a great story here today about kind of the the reverse of the equation, dreaming of someone to love and to have in your family. I imagine that God's dreams are the same for us, a desire to have us inside the house looking out instead of outside the house looking in. What is it like to have enough and to not worry about scarcity and to not see everyone as an enemy? I want to end with kind of a a rabbit trail um, story, but one that I think makes the point of the movement from orphanhood to adoption. And that's the story that Peter's story tells. He was a a bishop of the United Methodist Church in South Africa. He was a tall steeple uh, pastor uh, before he was elected uh, bishop. Uh, He was responsible uh, for uh, for the church. The church was split on political issues related to apartheid. No shocker there, right? We usually are. Um, And so he decided out of conviction that he would open the sanctuary at night and allow the street children, which were mostly uh, uh, black African uh, South Africaners, to come in and to sleep on the pews. Now, after a couple of weeks of doing this, he asked the kids, what is it like to be able to come in and to sleep on the pews? Now, he was sure to have them out uh, before, you know, everybody else showed up later on that day, again, because not everybody agreed with the choice. And when he asked the kids, how do you think about being able to sleep on the pews in the sanctuary? The kids said, we refer to it as the night in which we took off our shoes. That doesn't make sense, right? I mean, take off your shoes, take off my shoes all the time, right? But if you're a street child on the streets of Johannesburg, most critical piece of clothing that you own 
is your shoes. Without shoes, you get blisters. Blisters get infected. You get cuts. That you wear your shoes as you sleep because you figure if someone's going to try to take them, they'll wake me up before they get them off my shoes and I can fight to keep them back. But inside God's house, it was safe and they were able to take off their shoes and no longer worry about who might attack them that night. Friends, I want to invite you to come home. I want to invite you to uh, claim your inheritance. I want you to journey back to the heart of God. God yearns for us to be inside the house looking out instead of outside the house looking in. I want to encourage you to make that journey from uh, it all depending upon you as an orphan and instead depending upon the family of God as an adopted child of the king. Just that perspective shift can make all the difference in our lives as disciples. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, uh, Chapelwood United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. Uh, these are not a scattering of steps everywhere, but rather a lining up of them towards our 12-month goal and our three-year vision. Three-year vision to raise a generation in faith. The 12-month goal is to uh, learn to have vital habits of Christian life so that we can pass those vital habits on to our children and grandchildren. Uh, some of those vital habits, uh, one is being a high-expectation community, uh, taking responsibility not just for those who are in our house, but those who might be in our neighborhood, in our community, and maybe even across an ocean. And so I hope that you'll be taking those next steps. One of them can be planned to be here next Sunday so that you can participate in the discussion about uh, Zoe Ministries, be part of the adult gathering. Be sure to pick up a, a donation box. The kids all got them last week uh, through Children's Sunday School. Put your spare change in there. Together, we will pool our gifts after six weeks in the hopes to be able to uh, purchase uh, tuition for a number of kids to go on the three-year journey of Zoe Ministries. We'll have more information in the Sundays to come about that, but just begin thinking about what is that one thing that you'll forego, and whatever it costs, you'll put the money aside for Zoe, and over the course of six weeks, how will that money grow so that you can give it in such a way that it'll make a difference in someone else's life? There's some great things coming up uh, on the uh, horizon, one of them being the Faith in Action uh, Wild Game Dinner on Saturday night over at St. Michael's. I hope that you'll make uh, time to participate. Also, if this sermon has stirred up some interesting questions for you, uh, we have a Thursday night group, uh, 7 o'clock meeting at Mike Heather's house uh, over in Northwoods. I think the um, address is in the bulletin. It's an open group. We'd love for you to come. There's a number of people who were there in the past. They may or may not reveal themselves. But um, it's a good group, a lot of open conversation, and I say next to nothing, right? Uh, so we get to let y'all talk about the issues uh, of the sermon, and I get to learn how you hear it. I think those are all the announcements for today. Um, as we uh, invite David Hill to come and lead us in our closing song, Wash, O God, Our Sons and Daughters, it is in the hymnal, not on the screens, intentionally. So grab that hymnal and look for 605. I know we have uh, Mike Moss as our Stephen minister uh, up here. Uh, if you would like uh, someone to pray with you or to arrange care for you or for someone else, Mike will be right here. And I bet if he's not here, he's probably wandered towards the prayer room, which is right there, uh, right? That, that door? Yeah. 
Okay, that one. All right. Um, so Mike's here, um, and he can also refer you to other Stephen ministers. Why don't we grab a hand? Uh, uh, um, you don't have to hold everybody's hand, but hold somebody's hand. And let's have a prayer. Almighty God, we give thanks that once we lived in scarcity, that once we lived looking out only after ourselves, that then there came a day when we moved from orphan to adopted son and daughter of you. So Lord, send us out into the world to share the abundance, to share the word about you, to let others know there is joy and beauty enough for all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.